This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Don't look so serious. Everyone's so serious. All right. Okay, microphone. Shalom Aleichem, everybody. That you can say. Clapping. I don't know about the business of clapping. A few announcements before I start. First of all, I would like to apologize to everyone here. I was supposed to be here a few weeks ago, uh, maybe about a month ago, I think it was. But Baruch Hashem, I really shouldn't apologize, really, because I sent you someone better. I heard Rabbi Gowasa was amazing. So um, I just uh, apologize to all the people that thought I was coming. Uh, something had come up and it was, it was impossible. I also apologize for being a little bit late tonight. Um, I thought it was Friday time, and I thought it was a half an hour early. Uh, okay. Anyway, I, can't, I get mixed up. I'm not sure when I, sh- I, I went to a wedding. They invited me to a wedding. They said the chuppah was at 8.30. I went at 8.30 to the chuppah. I walked in. I thought I had the wrong hole. There was nobody there. The chassan wasn't there. The kala wasn't there. The parents weren't there. Nobody was there. So the guy who opens the door, he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here. It said, on my car, chuppah, 8.30. He says, nah, you, 8.30, it's not 8.30. They write 8.30. Anyway, Baruch Hashem, three hours later at 11.30, the parents showed up, 12 o'clock, the Chatzan and Kala showed up. The Chuppah was at 12.10. So I figured 8.30, 8.30, I can't, anyway. I'm very glad that I'm here, and, and it's amazing. You know, the first time I was here was a few years ago, and I really very much enjoy coming to Queens. Um, Chazak is, is, is absolutely amazing. And uh, Torah anytime and how they work together. And you, you got to use them. You don't use them enough. You have to use them. Chazak was telling me that um, they have a, a, a chassan, they, they, they read Shiduchim and Zivugim, and, and that the girls are very quiet. Baruch Hashem, Tznuot, they're very quiet. And they don't really want to fill out the papers about what kind of boy they're looking for. And they don't fill out the papers. I think this is the only community, I'm serious, the only community where there are more guys... Right, filling out the papers than girls. In my community, there's like, you know, five girls to every boy. And here there's five boys to every girl. So what are you guys doing? What are you waiting for? Girls, fill out the paper. Mezrat Hashem, you have to do a little bit. You know, it says you have to do a little bit. Mezrat Hashem, you'll find the Zivugim, Bekarayv. So you got to use Chazak's Shidduch uh, services. Of course, TorahAnytime.com, which is always facing me. I'm very nervous, very scared. You should know that I use the back door of my house when I go out in the morning because I'm scared he might be sitting there with a camera. Rabbi Wallace, just one question for everybody, you know. Just have one question we want to ask you, you know. My skylight, I covered it already, so I know they're not hanging upstairs looking in. But, but they're, absolutely, they're absolutely amazing. And whoever can support them, I just want you to know, I, I can't even have Hakaras, I, there's no Hakaras Atov on this world that I can give to TorahAnytime.com. I just wanted to know, I asked them, how many people, like, come to, to watch my share? On the computer, on the internet, they, they, they can tell you who, not who watches, but how many people from what country. And um, for the first three months of this year, January, February, and March, there were 25,000 people who came to watch a share. So that means 25,000 hours, and you know, my hour is not an hour, but close to 30,000 hours of Torah just me, and there are, I think, 70 Rabbeim, so, or 90. So there's millions of hours of Torah that they are carrying that's free. On top of that, they let you download for free 
they are totally lishma, they're totally for Hashem, they make no money on this, they lose a lot of money, that's why we're such close friends, or Nava, you know, we, we, whatever we do, is to, you know, we want to make sure we lose money, but if you can help them out, it's, it's an amazing partnership, you give them a little money, they, it helps with the camera, it helps with the guys who download it, and then all the people, I want you to know, they got an email, I mean, it's here from Arnava. She, she handed me the email. I got an email from Japan. An email from Japan from a guy who's not religious, who watches my shiurim from Japan and has decided, totally not religious, decided that he's going to Eretz Yisrael, packing up, leaving Japan, going to Eretz Yisrael, and he wants to learn much more about Yiddishkeit, about Judaism, and that's totally, there's no way I can reach a guy in Japan. And that's totally... From, from Torah anytime. So, whoever can help them out, they're, they're absolutely amazing. Alright. Little advertisement for Ornava. Whoever knows anything about Ornava, that's the organization for girls that I run. So, we have a very special one night a year in Brooklyn College, only for women. So far, Baruch Hashem, the last two years we sold out 2,600 women, only women, in Brooklyn College. And this year we have the schut of having Rabbi Eli Mansour speak and Rabbi Pesach Kron speak. And I'll, at the end I'll like say a couple of words, whatever. And Rabbi Wallstein speak. But don't get up and clap when I speak. Okay. Anyway, so everybody's invited, but the girls, you have to know that we sell out. I'm not just saying that. We sell out and then everyone gets, Rabbi Wallstein, come on, there's got to be one seat left. You know me, I come to Arnava, I come to Yeshurim, get me in, you know, and I can't. Because they're very strict about not having extra people, Brooklyn College and professionals, and you know, and they're got some mice over there, so they count the seats and every no people standing, looking this and that. So, Emirates Hashem will be selling tickets very soon, and when we do, we'll make sure that we get it to this unbelievable shul on a Matzah Shabbos so that you can buy tickets. All right, let's talk Tyra. Time to talk Tyra. That's what you're here for, right? Right? You sure? I hear the boys, the girls are snuot, they don't want it to sing yes because they want to be Kalisha. So it's fine, no problem. No, seriously, no problem. Alright. You guys are going to get it tonight like you never got it in your lives. I'm just telling you that before I start. So, okay? It's alright, they want, they like it. Okay. And this side will be a little, a little softer. Okay. I have five daughters, I don't have any sons. So the girls I treat a little differently than the boys. So they want me to talk about the summer. They told me that a few hours ago. So I prepared something to talk about in the power show. Something to talk about that yesterday was a fast day, that we're in the three weeks, and the nine days are coming up. And we're going to put them all together. Okay, this week's power show is Pasha's Matos. The beginning of the parasha talks about when somebody makes a shvua, swears or makes a promise. And if a wife makes a promise, the husband can break the pro- can can break the promise. If somebody makes a promise, they can go to a bezdin. They can break the promise. Breaking the promise means that they they they're either mutter or mufarlach, and then she can do whatever she promised not to do. She's allowed to do. If a person has a daughter and she's a katan, he could also break the promise. But we learn from the beginning of this pasha the importance of a person's word. A person's word is very 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 important. And I'll tell you an amazing story that's brought down in the Kavayasha. Oh, thank you. Says I should smile more. Okay. All right. 
So the Kava Yasher is a book that's brought that um, speaks a little bit about Kabbalah. It's a book that I love to teach and I love to learn. And he says the following story, an amazing story about a person's word. We'll start off with a person's word. And he says like this, there was a very great rabbi. And this rabbi passed away. And it's brought down in Kabbalah that every interesting, very interesting thing, that every person, even if they're the greatest tzaddik in the world, on their way to Ganeiden, translated into heaven, they have to walk through Gehenna, through hell. You can't go straight, everyone says, go straight to Ganeiden. The biggest tzaddik to get to Ganeiden has to walk through Gehenna. Why? Why? Why does he have to walk through Gehenna? Gehenna is a terrible, terrifying place. Why should he walk through Gehenna? And the answer is, very, very deep answer, that no matter how big a tzaddik you are, you have to see the Jews that are suffering. Because when you were in this world, if you would have spoken or talked to or changed, maybe some of those people that are in Gehenna, in hell, because I have to translate the word, I don't like to use that, I'm going to use from now on the word Gehenna, now you know what it is, that those people wouldn't be in Gehenna. So the greatest tzaddik has to walk through and see the suffering of the other Jews. Because it's a little bit his fault that some of them are there because he didn't save them. So he has to suffer a little bit. And I believe that the, the rabbi, I'm not sure the name, I'm just going from memory, I think his name was Rav Kahan, I'm not 100% sure what his name was. Anyway, he was a very big tzaddik. And his whole life, he did kirov. He, he spoke, and he, he tried to bring people back to God. And he was on his way to Ganeiden. And, and I guess this walk through of Gehenna is not walking through the fire. They don't take the tzaddik through the fire. It must be a bridge or some type of thing above Gehenna that they could see Gehenna. They're not in Gehenna. They don't have to suffer. They have to see that there are other Jews that, you know, there are other Jews suffering, even in the other world. And this Rav Kahana, I think that was his name, this rabbi jumped from this bridge into the fire. The minute he jumped into the fire, they had to turn all the fires off. Because he did not, he was a tzaddik, pure, pure tzaddik. And he didn't belong in Gehenna. He didn't belong there. So the minute he fell in, he jumped in, they turned off the whole fires in Gehenna. Now there's a malach, that's the one who takes care of the thermostat in Gehenna. He runs the whole Gehenna. He's called the Sashal Gehenna. Not a very, not someone you want to meet. Not a very funny looking guy. And he complained, get this tzaddik out of Gehenna. The fire is off. These people are supposed to be in pain. Get him out of Gehenna. He got up and he said to the Sasha Gehenna, he said, I am not leaving Gehenna until you give me some of the souls that are here that I can take them to Gehenna. So the Sar of Gehenna, this, this Malach, this angel of Gehenna said, you come into my, my property, into, into my Gehenna and you tell me what to do? He says, I'm not leaving. And if I'm not leaving, the fires are not going back on. So I want, right now, souls that I could take with me. So he went running to the Satan, his boss. And he said to the Satan, we got a problem. This rabbi is sitting here in Gehenna. I'm not allowed to turn on the fires. So the Satan ran to Hashem and said, Hashem, there's a rabbi in Gehenna and we can't turn on the fires. 
I want to go take him and throw him out. So, Hashem said, What's, what did he say? What did the tzaddik say? He said, the tzaddik said, he's not leaving until he gets souls to take with him to Gan Eden. And therefore, do we have a right to make this tzaddik a liar and throw him out of Gehenna? So Hashem said, let's check his neshama. If he lied when he was in the world one time, then we can make him a liar now. And we can take him out of Gehenna by force and throw him out. You can turn back on the fires. But if he never ever lied his whole life, then his word is a word. He never lied. And therefore, if he is in Gehenna and he's saying, I'm not leaving until you give me souls, we can't make him a liar. He said to the, Hashem said to the Satan, you have to let him take souls with him. So the Satan who has the books of everything that we do, went rifling through the books, through the tape, right? And never ever did this rabbi say a lie, even as a kid. He was truth, he was emes sheba emes. And Akash Baruch Hu said, we cannot make a liar out of him. He didn't lie in this world. He can't lie in that world. And therefore, you're going to have to give him some souls to take out of Gehenna. And the Satan said, how many? How many souls does he get to take out? A hundred? Five hundred? Two thousand? Hashem said, as many souls as he saved in this world, that's how many souls he can save in the next world. Which is a very scary thing. Which tells us that whatever you are in this world, that's what you are in the next world. And I could tell you many scary stories that I know personally of things that happened. And I personally, I didn't go to the other world, but that were told to me of, of people in the other world who, who, who could not change. Who saw the MS, who saw the MS, and they still could not change. There's a famous story that's brought down about this rabbi, and he, he went to an inn, and he had a lot of money, and he asked the person, the guy who was taking care of the inn, the non-Jew who was taking care of the inn, that, you know, if he could watch his money over Shabbos, and it came after Shabbos, he asked the non-Jew, can I have back my money? And he said, what money? You never gave me any money, I don't know what you're talking about. And the rabbi went, he said, what money? It's all my money, you gotta give me back my money! And he said, I never saw you, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That night the rabbi went to sleep, he had a dream, and in his dream they told him that the money is, is buried. This guy's father, they had a little, little personal uh, family graveyard in the back, and that he buried the money in his, by his father's grave. So he went, and he went, and he, he said, give me back my money, I know where it is. He went, and he dug it up, and he got it. And the guy said to him, how did you know where the money was? He said, I had a dream. He says, why did you... Why did you hide it there? Why would you hide it by your father's grave? He says, I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't going to take your money. I wasn't going to take it away from you. I went to sleep Friday night. My father, the guy's father, came in a dream and said, it's a true story, it's brought down in the, in the, in the, in the Avas Chaim, and told me to take your money and bury it by him that you'll never find it and that way I'll be rich. He says, your father came from the other world? He's in the other world. He knows the MS. And he came and he told you to steal from me? How could that be? He's sitting in the next world. And the rub said, you know how it could be? Because when a person is in this world, if he's a Ghana, if he steals in this world, then he loses his choice in the next world. That's what he is in the next world. 
and not to scare anyone, any girls or boys here, but the way a girl gets dressed in this world, girls, is the way you're dressed in the next world. But in the next world, it's very embarrassing not to be dressed correctly. And not only it says that, but it says that a person's dress in the next world tells everyone in the next world who they are and what they are. And that's why it talks about talasim, tzaddikim in the next world, they have a certain talas, and the women in the next world have a certain beged. You weave, you weave your beged, your clothing in this world for what you're going to wear in the next world. I'm going to tell you a story at the end of tonight's shir about clothing in the next world. So if you think you're just going to wear it here, but in the next world you're going to walk around and you're going to look like a big tzaddik, everybody sees what you did in the next world. If a person steals, the Kavayosha says, the Zaya says, he walks in the next world, his hand is very, very long. And he schleps it along. And everybody sees this guy has this huge hand and it's black. And it's diseased. And everyone knows that he used his hands for the wrong things. And if a person talks Lashon Hara, it says in the Kavayosha, the person's tongue turns black. And it's very, very long. And when they walk in the next world, they're schlepping a huge long tongue and everybody knows that that person spoke Lashonara. And in Kabbalah it says that that embarrassment, because you cannot hide, and it's embarrassment, everyone listen to me, it's an embarrassment for infinity, forever. It's not like I'm embarrassed now and tomorrow they'll forget about it. It's forever. You know what forever is? Nobody in this room knows what forever is. It's longer than anything you could think of. It's, if you, forever is longer than if you took a straw and you try to drink all the water from all the oceans. It's longer than that. And that's pretty long. And you can never hide it. And every Aveira and every piece of a body that you're supposed to cover, that you don't cover, the same thing happens in the next world. And everybody can see your cherpa, your busha, your embarrassment. It's not hidden at all. And you can't change it and you can't hide. And we'll talk about, because our subject tonight is the summer, we're going to talk about a person's eyes in the next world. A person who looks at things that they're not supposed to. Which I'm going to be nice enough and read it to you from inside. So a person has to be very careful. Because you really can't change. There's no tshuva. That's that's the that's the, the what's so scary. There's no tshuva in the next world. You can't say I'm sorry. You can't say Hashem one more chance. Your parents, you can say one more chance. Everyone in this room, Baruch Hashem, you're all alive. You all seem to be anyway. I don't know. In 20 minutes, everyone will be. Uh, but right now, I can see you're all alive. So every person in this room has a chance to do tshuva. They have a chance to change. Once you're there, once they put that box in the ground. No change. You can be sorry, and everyone's sorry, there's no question. In the next world, I always say, the, 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 the most famous words you'll hear in Shemayim, just one more chance. Everybody's walking around, Hashem, just give me one more chance. No more chances. That's it, it's over. And the way a person gets dressed here is the way a person gets dressed there. Except it says that a person's emuna, a person who really believes in God, thoroughly, wears a cloak, wears a cloak, that covers everything. But that's a person who has true amuna. Not that you have amuna, that you do a sin and you say, okay, now I'll cover it with that cloak. A person who has true amuna is brought down, that that person has a special cloak that covers everything. Women, men, it doesn't make a difference. A person who has amuna has a special cloak. But otherwise, 
Otherwise, it's all up there to be seen. You can't hide. There's no hiding. Okay. So, a person's mouth, if you're MS and you talk truth, you have a fantastic power in the next world. So Hashem said, this rabbi, as many Jews as he saved in this world, that's how many Jews he could save in the next world, and the count was 300. He had saved 300 Jews in this world, and therefore the Sultan came back and said to the Malach, he gets to take 300 Jewish souls out of hell. And it says that he went to the seventh level. There are seven levels in Gehenna. The bottom level is called the Tahim. It's people, you don't get, it's not 11 months, it's forever there. It's not the 11 month Kaddish business. It's forever. It's called the Tahim. You don't get out of there. And he figured the rabbi, the other people are going to get out after 11 months, whatever it takes. These people will never get out. He took 600. And he came to the gate to leave Gehenna with 600 souls to bring them to Gan Eden. Can you imagine? Those souls were in the Tahom and all of a sudden a rabbi shows up and pulls them out of the Tahom. It's amazing. And the, 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 the Malach is standing there, the angel is standing there, he goes, what's this? What's this? Is this how you counted your money in your shul? Like, we said 300, you take 600? What kind of business is this? So they ran to Hashem. Hashem? It's not fair. You said 300. Now he's got 600. Amazing. So Hashem answered, if he was satisfied with the 300, and he said, I'm a great tzaddik, I saved 300, that's all he could save. But if he wanted to save more, and the only reason he couldn't save more is because I, I didn't let him live longer, or because he didn't have enough money to help these Jews, and it bothered him, and he tried then you have to let him take double. And therefore, because this was a man who wasn't just happy doing what he had to do, but he continuously wanted to do more and more, in Shemayim he was rewarded that he could take double those nefashas. He ended up taking out 600 souls from the Tahim. Why? Because he never lied. Because he spoke the truth. I'm sure this is not a problem in this shul, and I'm sure this is not a problem in this community. But I was called once to a community to talk about the problem of talking in shul. Of women talking in shul, and of men talking in shul. And that's a different shir. I wasn't asked to speak about this tonight. But I want to tell you, now this was a shul out in Jersey somewhere, where they said every rabbi came to speak to try to stop these people, and they couldn't stop them. Rabbi Wallerstein, you're our last hope. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to tell a three-minute story, and that's all I'm going to tell them. No, you have to give a shir, shulchan aruch, and bring halacha. I said, listen, all the other rabbis did that. You don't need me for that. I'm just going to tell these people a story, and that's, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Okay. So I come to the shul, and it's, it's this full, men and women, and I, I did give a whole shir on talking, talking and lashon and all that. I said, okay, I want, to tell you, I want to tell you why you shouldn't talk in shul. There's halachas for sure, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. In Shemayim, a person who talks in shul has no mouth. What do I mean by has no mouth? They're not able to talk to Hashem. So I said to these people, I said, I want to tell you something. You're all older people, your parents, some of you are grandparents. I said, your daughter... 
Your granddaughter, you should live long. Your granddaughter, your great-granddaughter. It's going to be 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. I don't know how old. She's looking for a shidduch. Your grandson, everything he touches in business falls apart. Your other grandson doesn't have any children. And where are they going to go to pray? To your kever in Israel. To my grandfather's kever. My grandmother's kever. Her grave. And they're going to come to you and they're going to say, Safta. Bobby, I can't find the shidduch. I'm trying so hard. You're such a tzaddikista. Go in front of Hashem and daven for me. Zaydi, Safta. Go up to Shemayim and tell Hashem we need help. Our daughter's sick. She needs a refuah shalema. And you're going to be sitting in Shemayim, I told these people. After 120. You're going to be sitting in Shemayim. And you're going to get up, and you're going to say, my granddaughter's at my grave. She needs a shidduch. I'm going to Damit Hashem. And you're going to come to the door, and the mouth will say, what do you want? And you're going to say, my, my granddaughter, she's, she's in, 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 in Eretz Yisrael, Harmanuchos. She's crying her eyes out. She wants to have children. She's married 12 years. She has no children. I have to go to Hashem. It's my granddaughter. i got to help. You? You spoke in Shul? You talked? When people were talking to Hashem? When people were praying to Hashem? You were talking? You can't. Now your daughter's praying and you can't talk to Hashem. Mida connected Mida. So I said to everyone in the room, I said, do you think it's worth those couple of little babbles to the girl next to you, to the guy next to you? Do you think it's worth it so that when you come to Shemayim and somebody needs your tefillah, that your mouth has no lips? And your voice has no voice. You're going to lose all your power. Could you daven? How could you talk by davening? Hashem's not going to let you talk to him. On this world, you had a chance to talk to him and you didn't. Then guess what? You don't get a chance on the next world to talk to him either. It's very, very serious Avera to talk during prayers. I know a lot of people that will not even talk in a shul after prayers. They will walk outside before they will ever talk in a shul. This is the house of God. This is the house to speak to Hashem. You want to talk? You talk outside. It's a slap in Hashem's face. It's a slap in Hashem's face. You're coming to talk to God and then you're ignoring Him. Could you imagine if you went to your friend? Hi, hello? Miriam, I'm coming over to talk to you. Great. And you walk into your friend's house and she's ready. She's ready to listen to you. And you pick up the phone and you start talking to somebody else. And then you turn around and walk out. An hour later. Don't, 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 don't come to my house. Don't come to my house and talk to someone else. Don't come to my house. Better not to come to shul. But don't come to my house to talk to someone else. You want to talk to someone else. Not in my house. You have to be very careful. Yitzhahara is very, very powerful. He doesn't want us to talk to Hashem. Our koach. Our koach is Koko Yaakov. And if we ever needed it, if you look what's going on in the world, and whoever saw my Mashiach tape this Matzi Shabbos knows what's going on in the world. If you see what's going on in the world, it's just a matter of time. And Klai Yisrael's only help will be our prayers. 
And if you're going to talk during prayers, then our prayers, the satan, will take away our prayers totally. I want you to know, one of the, I don't like to say it, because I don't like to be makachig on Klai but I, I have to tell you this, it's, 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 it's an avas chaim, it's amazing. Every avera that we do, so the satan runs to Hashem and says, oh, she did this avera, he did that avera, he did that avera, not in this room, but she did that avera, this one did that avera, right? He runs to Hashem. So if it's immorality or the way a girl gets dressed, he runs to Hashem, look what the Jews are doing. Hashem answers, the guy am I doing worse? Hashem has an answer. Uh, the Jews are stealing. The guy am still worse. Uh, the Jews are beating up each other. The guy am beat each other up worse. Whatever Avera the Sultan brings to Hashem, Hashem answers, the guy am I doing worse? Says the Amas Chaim. Except for one thing. When the Sultan comes to Hashem and says, the Jews are talking in Shul. The church is absolutely silent. The mosque is absolutely silent. Hashem has no answer. It's an Every Avera Hashem says, what do you want from my people? The Goyim are doing worse. Except talking in shul. Because the Goyim don't talk in shul. They don't talk in church. And they don't talk in the mosque. They don't talk in their holy places. And there Hashem has no answer. And therefore the Chavetz Chaim speaks over and over, be quiet in shul, don't talk in shul. Because the Satan has a claim, and Hashem has no answer. But there is an answer. And I'll tell you an amazing answer that a big tzaddik got up, and somebody said to him, I don't understand. The Jewish people talk in synagogue. You should know that when it's a chil Hashem, because sometimes non-Jewish people in business, whatever it is, they come to shul or... Or, or, or there's someone who's sick and they, you know, they're, they're, they're take, the people, the caretaker is not a Jew and he wheels them into shul and he's non-Jewish and he comes in and he sees people talking and it's the biggest chil Hashem because in his church they don't talk. So, why do Jews talk in shul and Goyim don't? So, Big Rub got up and he said a very beautiful answer for us to protect us. He said, it's simple. He says, what does Yetzirah do in a shul? Since we're praying to Hashem, and we're not serving Avodah Zarah, so what does Yetzirah do in shul? He goes to every Jewish person and says, talk, 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 talk. And he tries to get us to talk. Guys who don't talk at all, they're introverts. The whole week, you can't get a word out of their mouth. They come to shul, all of a sudden, ooh, he knows stocks, he knows cars, he knows the Yankees, he knows the Mets, he knows everything, this kid doesn't talk a whole week. Comes to shul, all of a sudden he's talking, talking, talking. Why? Why? Why is he talking, talking, talking? Because the Yetzirah says, I want him to talk. He says, what does the Yetzirah do in church? What does the Yetzirah do in a mosque? They're praying to the wrong God. They're praying to Avodah Zarah. So the Yetzirah says, shh, pray, pray. Don't talk, be quiet. So they're following, not the Yetzirah, they're following the Yetzirah. Our Yetzirah says, talk, because we're praying to the right one. Their Yetzirah says, don't talk. Shh, pray, keep serving Avodah Zarah, it's good. So that's what this tzaddik said as a defense to Kalaistro. He says, Hashem, what do you want from us? It's just the Yetzirah. That's what it is. But, but the truth of the matter is that we have to be very, very careful. As you see from this tzaddik, that because his, he was truthful, he was truthful in the other world too. MS is very, very important. Okay, so the parasha goes on. And the parasha says the following. The parasha says that Reuven, the, the people of Reuven, we'll say it very fast, they were, they were traveling through the desert. They were coming into Israel. And the Shevet Ruvain 
had a lot, a lot of sheep, a lot, a lot of cattle. And they didn't want to go into Israel. You hear? After the whole thing? They didn't want to go into Israel. They came to Moshe Rabbeinu. And they said, we have a lot of sheep. We like the Jordanian side. We like the land. We don't want to go to Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu went ten psukim. He yelled at them. He criticized them. And just to show you how, how money can affect a person, they said to him that we want to build houses for our animals and houses for our families. First the animals, then the families. That's what money can do to you. You're so busy with your money that you forget about that you have a family. I always talk by Pidyon Abens. I'm a Kohen. Anyone who needs to do a Pidyon Aben? Most Kohanim do it for five. Is that, you know, five coins? I'll do it for three. No, okay. Anyway, I'm kidding. It's, it's five coins, but I'm a Kohen. And there's a very weird question the Kohen asked the father. Now, it has to be very dangerous with me. See, until 30 days, the, the baby belongs to the Kohen. Actually, we don't do diapers. <laughs> we don't get up at two in the morning, but the baby really belongs to the Kohen. Now, we asked the father of the baby, the coin asked the father of the baby, Ma boy say, what do you want more? Your baby or the five silver coins? What do you want? Which one? Hello? Of course he wants his baby. Right? So why is the coin asking that question? It's a very silly question. What do you want more? Five silver dollars, $120, or this baby? Now, if he says, I want the money instead of the baby, then I'm stuck with the kid. <laughs> what he doesn't realize is that Rabbi Wallerstein is a dangerous coin because I only have daughters Baruch Hashem I have five daughters so if he says the coins I'm out of there with the kid he's a boy I'll take him you understand I'm a little bit of a dangerous coin but the question is what kind of silly question is that you're asking the parents what do you want five silver dollars or this baby of course and of course what does he say I want the baby of course he wants the baby. If he says no, his wife is going to throw something at him. Of course he wants the baby. So why is the coin asking that question? It's a silly question. And the answer is, listen carefully. The answer is that this baby, to be a pigeon of Ben, has to be the first, their first child. And we know that the first thing in life, okay, I'm a middle child, so you know, all you guys are a middle child. That first one, that oldest one, that oldest kid, you know, there's something about the first one. First car, the first thing that grows is Bikurim, the first house, everything, you know, everything, there's something special about first. It happens to be that the firstborn kid usually gets it over the head more than the rest of us because they have to, you know, it's the first kid they have, so they're trying out everything on him. So by the time they get to the second, third one, we're in good shape. That's why Bukhari gets double, because he gets double the other way, you know. Should we hit him? Shouldn't we hit him? Should we keep him up? Shouldn't we keep him up? So by the time they figure out the first one, the second one comes along, we're ready, the second guy's pretty safe. You know, by the third one, they're ready. Between the first one and the second one, the third one's totally spoiled. If it gets down to a ninth one, forget about it. That's the king of the house or the queen of the house. So, so the first child is like, I did it. We did it. We did it. Wow. It's amazing. You know, look what we did. You know, you hear that in the hospital a lot. You know, want to see what, want to see what we did? What? You know, our baby. Want to see what we did? Like, oh, I made this baby, right? Forget about the third partner. So what the coin is asking the father is what's more important to you, money or your child? And the father has to say out loud in front of everybody, I want my child, I don't want the money. Because by announcing that in the beginning, he's putting into his teva, into his nature, money is not the most important thing in life. My children are, my wife is, my family is. So the Kohen makes sure that this man who had a firstborn boy announces to the public and to himself, 
money is not more important than my child. I want my child. Problem is how fast we forget. How fast we forget that excitement of, yeah, I'm going to take my child to the zoo, and every Sunday we're going to have a barbecue, and I'm going to walk him to yeshiva, and I'm going to tell him stories at night, and we're going to play games. And that doesn't, that lasts like one year if you're lucky, or two years if you're very lucky. That excitement is lost, and that's why the coin makes him say it out loud. That my child and my children and my family come first, guys, because money doesn't make a family, which we're going to see now. And we see from this pasha that they forgot. They said, we need to build big barns for our animals, and then we'll build a house for our kids. So I want to read you a medrash, and then we'll tie into the summer and to the three weeks. And the medrash says the following. I'll read it to you very fast. He says, There are three presents that God created. Three presents. Matonot. If you get one of them, you got everything. Just get one of them. What are they? Chachma, wisdom. If you have wisdom, you have everything. Givura, strength. You have everything. Osher, rich, being rich. If you have that, then you have everything. Now this sounds very funny. Rich, you just told me rich is not important, right? You're telling me rich is important? Gvura, a guy goes in English, more English, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Nissan Altimo, blocking driveway 108-17, two houses behind the shul. Muslim neighbor angry. Whoever it is, whoever it is has to move it. A Nissan Altimo. Okay. Anyway, no one turn around to look if someone walks out because that's being the then. So just look at me. Don't look, don't, I'm serious. Me, a person has to walk out. No, don't look. You're not supposed to know who it is. Okay. Midos, Midos, everybody. So, what does this mean? Richness, wisdom, strength. What? I went to the, I went to work out. I went to work out. You should know. There are a few people walking out so that you don't know which one's car it is. See, this is, these are tzaddikim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is basically real. It's not simple. A bunch of guys walked out so you don't know which one it is. Godless, I got to come back here. I got to come back here. This place is amazing. Okay. Anyway, so a guy who goes to work out in the gym and got big muscles, a guy who has a lot of money, that means he's zeicher to the whole world. So he says, no. He says, people who have that and know that it's not theirs, that it's just a matana, that it's a present from Hashem. And a present, you don't get upset. If you get a present and you take back a present, it's not yours. A person who realizes it's not them, they are Zaycha in the whole world. And he goes through different people who had money, who lost it, and people who had strength, who lost it, and people who had Chachma, who lost it. I'm not going to go through that tonight. What he's saying over here is that all of us in this room have presents, have something that Hashem gave us, all of us, and as long as we know it's a present, it takes away one very important thing. It takes away jealousy. It takes away jealousy. It takes away what we call sinas chinam, not liking someone. If Hashem gives him a present, how can I be jealous of him? Hashem decided. Hashem can give anyone the present they want. If he gives you a present, I can't be jealous of you. I can say, Hashem, I wish I would get a present too. And I could daven that I could also get a present. But I can't be angry that he got a present. That's between him and Hashem. So therefore... A person who knows that everything he has is a present will never be angry. 
will never be jealous because what am I angry about? He just gave it to me as a present. He wants to take it back. He can take it back. Famous story to Chafetz Chaim. Chafetz Chaim got up, gave a shear, and he said, Hashem can take away your money in a second. All your money in one second. Gave the shear, the power of God. You can be a billionaire, Hashem can take away all your money in one second. So after the shear, this man walks over to Chafetz Chaim. He says, Rabbi, I don't want to argue with the grand rabbi, but I got to tell you something. I don't think that's true. Chafetz Chaim says, what do you mean? He says, Rabbi, you don't know who I am, but I am worth over a billion dollars in those days. I have 50 banks, 50 banks, 5-0 banks across the world. He said, I could hear a disaster in the world, and one bank after another, one country after another goes down, but that's going to take a few months. Not one second. All my banks should be empty of all their billions and billions of dollars in one second, Rabbi. I'm afraid you have to take back that statement. One of the most amazing answers I've ever heard in my life. The Chafetz Chaim turned to this man. Listen carefully, everybody. Chafetz Chaim turned to this man and he said, Who said Hashem has to take away the money from you in a second? Hashem can take you away from the money in a second. A heart attack! One second! You have no money. So the Chavetz Chaim, I didn't say that Hashem has to take the money away from you. Hashem will take you away from the money. All your banks and all your billions in one second. Nothing. Nothing. Including life. Including life belongs to us. How do you know? Because if it belonged to me, he couldn't take it away. So life doesn't belong to me. It's a present. And as the mission says, it's a loan. It's a present. It doesn't belong to me. Because no matter how you eat, and no matter how healthy you are, Hashem wants to take your life away. He has, I forgot what the Gemara says, how many measles deaths there are in the world. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So we owe nothing. Scary, huh? We own nothing. We don't own our eyesight. We don't own the power to hear. We don't own the power to walk. Chas v'shalom Hashem can take your eyesight away in one second. There are diseases that are, that are irreversible. People can lose their hearing in one second. People can lose their ability to walk in one second. There's a, a, a young boy that comes to my share every Tuesday night. He doesn't have feet. He was a regular per- person. He comes every in a, in a wheelchair. He was walking in Borough Park. A car ran over him. He lost his legs. There's no guarantees on anything. It's a matana, says the, says the Medrash. It's a present. And if you know it's a present, then you cherish it. Then it's precious. What do you do with your presents? It's a precious, precious present. And you know what? It unwraps like a present. You're born a little baby, and you grow, and you get chachma, and you, and you grow up into life. It's like opening a present growing up. It's supposed to be. For a lot of teenagers, it's like opening a time bomb. <laughs> but it's supposed to be like opening a present. And you know the excitement of somebody when they open a present? Did you ever do that trick with all the little boxes? Like eight different boxes and eight different wrappings? And many times, the child, when they open the present, they're more excited about the wrapping then they're excited about what's inside. Life. Life, everybody here. That Baruch Hashem, you all have. Life is opening your present. 
and opening your box and taking off your gift wrap. Can you be depressed in life? Why are people so depressed? Everybody's walking away. I need medication. I need music. I need this. I need that. If you realize that every moment of your life is a present, thank you, Hashem, Odani. Thank you for my present. Let me look a little bit more. Let me unravel a little bit more. Let me grow up a little bit more. Let me find a little bit more. What is this present? What is this Torah? What is this life? That's what life is. Life is a matana. And one of the matanas that were given to us guys and girls, one of the biggest matanas is something called eyes. Jewish people have different eyes. In fact, they were teaching the, the bus drivers in Israel when all the bombing was going on, and you had Arabs that were, that were dressing up as Jews in Hasidic garb and in other garb. How could you tell? And the Israelis were teaching their bus drivers to look at their eyes. Jewish eyes are Jewish eyes. Arab eyes are Arab eyes. They'll never be the same. Ever. There is something chain. There is something in a, pers- in a Jewish person's eyes. And a Jewish person's eyes is a very, very precious matana that Hashem gave us. Because we're supposed to use those eyes to read the Siddur, to learn the Torah. We're supposed to use those eyes for the correct things. There's a mitzvah of going Shalash Regalim to Israel. Mishra of Ria, of Sink. So I want to read you a very scary Kavayasha, mainly for the boys. But I'm going to read it from inside. Wherever the boys want to look it up, it's in the Zayar. Pashish Bekudei, Daf, Resh, Samach, Gimel, Amad, Beis. Kiyesh, Mimune, Echot, Shinikra, Patos. There is an angel called Patos. Why is he called Patos? His job is to get people to look at things that they're not supposed to. All types of dirty pictures. Immoral pictures on the internet. Looking at girls. Girls looking at things they're not supposed to look at. That's what his job is in this world. He works for the Satan. What's his reward? How does the Satan reward this malach for getting you to look at things that you're not supposed to? And by the way, boys, guys always ask me after this, when I speak about this, it wasn't my fault, I was in Manhattan, this girl walked in front of me in a miniskirt, what do you want from me? Right? I shouldn't go to Manhattan anymore? The word sasuru means to follow. The first look Guys, it's not your fault. She crossed in front of you. It's the second look you're going to pay for. So suru means to follow. The second look. And he says over here, what's going to happen? After the person is dead, and he's buried in his grave right after they bury you. Put the sand on you, everybody walks away. And there you are, all alone in your four by four little thing over there with the worms. And I always yell and scream. People are so upset. <gasps> he parked on my driveway. He touched my lawn. Uh, they built the wall. I don't have air, airspace, air rights. He went into my air rights. Oh my goodness. How much air rights are you going to have in your grave, man? There ain't no air rights down there. How much room do they give you? 
This world, everyone's busy. We have to, we have to sue him. He, he, he says, a brick. I know such a story. Your brick is two inches in my lawn, on my property. I'm going to court. You're taking down your whole house. Because your brick is in my property. I'm taking you down. Sugar enough. Fadrete, out of your mind. What's going to be after 120? They don't even sell you two. Like if you want like a room for you and like space on the side, they don't sell that to you. You can't buy that. That has to be for someone else. It's, I'm talking real. I know. I read well. This is real. This is, this is where we're going. Mashiach should come. But that's not the reason Mashiach should come. This is where everybody goes. It's a fact. Everybody thinks. Not me. I, all the generations died. Not me. I'm different. We're not different. We're not different. Hashem takes back his matana. I should be at 120 years, but he takes back his matana. So what are you fighting that the person parked four inches into your, into your driveway? What are you getting yourself from sugar? Or, or he, he sat in my seat in shul. Guy comes, he's a guest, he sits down. That's my seat, get out of there. That's not a guest seat. Hello? Calm down. We all end up in the same place, says the Mishnah. Everybody ends up in the same place. So, right after, so yeah, right, this guy, this, this Malach that's telling you, hey, check it out, baby, check it out. Check out who's walking across the street. Check out what's on the computer. Check out the magazine. Check out the teen magazine, the people magazine, the, 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 the new movie stars, and this guy and that guy, I don't even know the names, and this rock star and that rock star and this rap guy. Oh, check it out. Check out all these things with your eyes. And the Malach got you to do it. So what happens? After the person dies, and he's buried in the grave. So this Malach shows up in the grave. This guy, Patos. Shalom Aleichem. And he goes to the Shiva house. And he takes the Neshama that's in the Shiva house. He says, uh-uh-uh. You're coming back to the grave, mister. And brings the neshama back to the grave. And he grabs the body of this person. I'm sorry that I have to do this, but he wanted me to give a share on summer. So I'm giving it to you. And this malach in the grave breaks the eye sockets of the person. The bones that hold your eyes in, he breaks them. And he takes for himself the person's eyes. You hear? This is not, this is a Zayar, a Pashas This is Rav Shimon Baichoy, guys. You sing Rav Shimon Baichoy a lot. This is the real thing. You hear somebody who looks at things he shouldn't? The Malach that's telling you, check it out, baby. Yeah, you gotta look at that. That same Malach is gonna come take your eyeballs. And break your eye sockets. Yeah, yeah. That's what he's going to do. That same guy. So next time that foot comes into your head, just think about, I don't want to see you after 120. But he's not finished. They judge this man with terrible pain. They drop him into a hole in the, in the other world. That there are many snakes and scorpions. And they hold on to him. God should have pity on us. And that Rizal goes on. That's for the guy who's lucky. That he takes his eyes and takes them and throws them into a bar in Gehenna. That guy's lucky. But the guy who really looks at things he shouldn't. Omar HaKadosh HaRizal. That Rizal says, 
There's a little bird that's mentioned in the Torah, and the name of the bird is Ra'a. He has unbelievable vision, this bird. Unbelievable. I think it's a hawk. Might be it's a hawk. Unbelievable vision. That's why he's called Ra'a from the word sea. The rabbis say, why is he called Ra'a? Because he sees from far. He commits znus, immorality, with his eyes. What does that mean? What does it mean he commits? He's far away. He's 20 miles away from the other bird that he's looking at. But he satisfies his lust with his eyes. There's a certain person gets satisfied by looking at something he shouldn't. He feels, ah, there's a certain satisfaction that he gets. Therefore, the punishment for a man who looks at women, he will come back in a Gilgal in this bird. Because he looked and satisfied himself with looking, therefore he will come back in a Gilgal, which is even more painful than Gehenna, as, as this bird. And he will suffer very much. I don't have to go further. We see from here that a person's eyes, which is a present, which is a matana that Hashem gave you, you better use it for the right things. It's there to learn Torah and to look. Right, now someone's going to say, Wallstein, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I looked at girls and I looked at the wrong pictures and I read the wrong magazines and I'm doomed. What am I going to do? Two things to clean your eyes. One, to look at Hashem's name, Yud Vavke, as much as you can. Is it here? There. To get yourself a piece of parchment like that from a sofa and have Hashem's name, of course it's a very holy name and you can only have it in a very holy place. But to look at it and imagine it as much as you can, Yud Vavke, that cleans your soul and it cleans your eyes. And two, to cry. To cry to Hashem that He should forgive you. Those tears clean, clean off your eyes. And why are your eyes the most important of all? Because the Zayar says that a person's eyes are the windows of your neshama. Eyes don't lie. They can't lie. Nobody can lie with their eyes. And a person who knows how to read eyes knows exactly what the person's inside. Why? Because the eyes, are, we, we spoke last time, Shemayim, they go in. Where do they go in? Where do they go? Where do they go? Where does it go? What you see when you learn. The Torah says, if you read, right? Oisios machkimos. Letters make you smart. How do letters make me smart? And the answer is, your eyes are the window to your soul. So whatever goes into your eyes goes into your soul. Good stuff, great. Bad stuff, very bad. So the biggest effect on a person is what his eyes see. And I'll, I'll end off with two short stories. The story is brought down. I'll tell you something very scary. I don't, I don't know if, you, if the Svardim say this on Tishabov in the Kinot, the ten Harugay Malchus, the ten people who were killed, the ten Sadiqim that were killed, we said on Yom Kippur also. Okay, so one of them, the Vishmal Kain Gadol. There were ten Jews that were killed in terrible, terrible ways. There was one called Rabbi Shmuel Kain Gadol. He, the Gemara says, was the most beautiful man in the world. Vishmal Kain Gadol, the Gemara says, I don't even, I don't even know how to explain this to you. He looks a little bit like Hashem. That's what the Gemara says. He was so beautiful 
that the be- his beauty is like a part of Hashem. It's hard to understand what the Gemara means. He was beautiful. There's nothing to talk about. The way he died was the princess, the Gaiyush, the non-Jewish princess, she took one look at him. She said, oh my goodness. Dad, the king, don't kill him. I want him for myself. I never saw such a beautiful man. The holiest of the holy. I want it for myself. Father was a Russia. We say this in the Kinnis. Father was a Russia. He said, that I won't do for you, but I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I will peel off his face. I will stuff it. And you can look at him for the rest of your life in your room. You can look at the skin that I peeled off and everything. And I'm going to make a doll out of it. And then you can see his beauty for the rest of your life. And as we know, they peeled off his face. And when they reached the place on his forehead of the tefillin, he let out such a scream, and he died. And then we know the Malachim said to Hashem that this is how you reward a tzaddik. Hashem said, if I hear one more word, I will destroy the world, I will turn the world into water. And the Kash is asked, if Chaim Vital speaks about this, the Talmud of the Arizal, what did he do to deserve that? One died by fire. Rabbi Akiva, they raked him to death. One, they chopped off his head. Peel off the skin of his face and stuff it and put it in the princess's room? What did he do? Klein Gadol who saw Hashem in the Kaidish Kedashim? This is the punishment? Listen to what Rabbi Chaim Vital, this is scary, guys. Listen to what Rabbi Chaim Vital says. Rabbi Chaim Vital says, Who was Rabbi Shmuel Klein Gadol? He was the Gilgal of Yosef HaTzadik. Who was this princess? She was a Gilgal, a soul that came back of Ashes Potiphar. Where Yosef had the whole situation with Ashes Potiphar. Why did Yosef HaTzadik have to come back? We know he didn't do the Avera with her. He's Yosef HaTzadik. She tried to get him to do the sin and he didn't do the sin. Why did he come back as a Kohen Gadol and have to go through such suffering? So the Medrash says that she was showing off Yosef HaTzadik to her friends. She was sick. She was in love with him. He was gorgeous. She was sick and depressed. And her friend said to her, why are you depressed? And she said, there's a Jewish guy that works for me. I have never seen such a beautiful person. I have to have him. And until I have him, I'm sick. And they said, what? A Jewish guy? We got all these mitzrim, beautiful mitzrim. And you're telling him, no such thing. She said, really? Come to, the house, come to my house tomorrow. I'm making a party. The Medrash says this. So she made a party. And she put the, I think there were 12 of them around the room. And she gave each one of them an esrog. That's what they used to eat over there. Right? Like an orange. And a knife to peel it. And then she dragged Yosef Atzadik into the middle of the room. And the Medrash says that while they were looking at his beauty, they were peeling the esrog. They didn't realize they were peeling the tops of their fingers. And she turned to them and she said, you're making fun of me? Your fingers are all bleeding. Look at your fingers. You're so enthralled with his beauty, you don't even realize you're cutting your fingers and you're making fun of me. And the Medrash says, that how did she get Yosef HaTzadik to lift his head? He wouldn't look at all these women. That she took a metal brace that, that was around his neck and forced his head to be straight like this. Sort of in chains. His head was straight. He couldn't turn. He couldn't bend. He couldn't lift. His head was straight so that they could all see his beauty. 
And the Medrash says, boys, that he looked at her and thought about what he saw for a second. And now he was forced to look. That wasn't his fault. But for one second, he looked at her beauty. And for that second, he had to come back as Rabbi Shemokha and God get his face peeled and die the most horrendous death that you could imagine. And because he looked at her, she had a right, because he gave in to her, she had a right to have his face forever, until she died. So it's not only your Avera, when you look at a girl, when you look at a non-Jewish girl crossing the street, but she has, gets your power. She takes you, your kleiches, your eyes. She gets your eyes. And when you watch pornography and things you're not supposed to, the people that are selling it and who wrote it, they're getting your eyes. They're getting your soul. Not just, you got a problem. Not just that he suffered, but she ended up owning him. And worse than suffering everybody here is when the other side owns your neshama is the worst thing in the whole world. To be a Jew and to go to Gehenna and to suffer so that you can go to Ghanaian, that's fine. You can deal with it. You'll deal with it and you could deal with it and you shouldn't have to deal with it. But to belong to the other side, that when a person dies, they get your neshama, that's pain forever, 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 forever. It's never over. And when you look at them and you listen to their music and you belong to their culture, not only are you doing an Aveiro, but they're taking your soul through their music and through their pictures and through their garbage and through their internet. They're taking your soul. And that little Malach is telling you, yeah, enjoy yourself, don't worry about it, nothing's going to happen. The same Malach that's going to take your eyes. Now, I can't end with such a story. I can't have you guys going home like this, like, Rabbi, I didn't sleep for two weeks. Okay. So, of course, again, there's, there's tshuva. There's, I know it's late. I'm going to finish up. There's tshuva to everything. Everybody, everybody can do tshuva. Hashem loves us. He's our Father. And whatever you did till now, you can change. A couple of tears. You look at Hashem's name. You can change it all. Just have to damn Hashem. There's a famous story with Rav Kahana. I never understood this story. And until I got older. There's a story with Rav Kahana that, that he, was a, he was like a perfect tzaddik. He used to sit and learn. Never looked at a woman. He was perfect, perfect. Purely pure, pure, pure. And the Sultan came to Hashem and said... Who's the greatest tzaddik of the generation? Hashem said, Rav Kahana. The Sultan said, I bet you your greatest tzaddik, I could take him down. It's brought down in the Kavah Yosha, it's brought down in the Havaz Chaim, it's brought down I think, in the Mamloyas also. It could be, it's a medrash. So Hashem said, really? You think you can take my tzaddik down? It's a little bit hard to understand the challenge, right? Okay, let's see. So he was le- learning in the base medrash, and the Sultan got dressed up as the most beautiful woman, now he's, he's the Satan, so he can do this. The most provocative, beautiful woman that is in the whole world. And he's, and this man's learning, he's sitting and he's learning, and the Satan started walking around, talking to, hey, hey, you know, trying to get his attention, and he was learning, and he was learning, and the Satan couldn't get him to do anything. So the Satan went up to Shemayim, and he said, I don't know, you're right. I tried everything to get him to do an Avera. He wouldn't even look up. Meanwhile, down on this world, Rav Kahana right away called, he didn't know it was a Sultan, he thought it was a woman in the base Medrash. He right away called his Talmidim. He said, I want you to take two hot, two, two hot metal poles. I want you to put them in the fire. 
And I want you to put them in my eyes. I want you to burn out my eyes. It's a famous story. I want you to burn out both of my eyes. It's coming. said, Rebbe, Rebbe, are you kidding me? How can we do this? And he says, you don't understand. There was a woman here. I smelled the perfume. There was a woman here, and I was about to look up. The last second I didn't look up, but I really wanted to look up, and I can't go through that again. Take my eyes. So the Talmudim took his eyes. They burned his eyes out. So when they burned his eyes out, the Satan said to Hashem, ah, I didn't want to do that. That's not what I was after. Hashem said, don't worry, I'll send the Malach Rafael. I'll send the Malach Rafael, he'll come down, he'll, 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 he'll cure him. The Malach Rafael came down, he's sitting there now with his eyes burnt, he can't see anything. And he says, who are you? If you're the same woman that was here before, go away. Because I can't see anymore, I have no eyes. I can't see you anyway. And the Malach said, no, no, Rabbi, Rabbi, I'm the Malach Rafael, I'm here to cure you. And he said to the Malach Rafael, get out of here. I don't want my eyes. I'm done. I don't want to go through this test again. Go back. I don't want my eyes. The manager says, he went back to Hashem. He said, Hashem, he doesn't want me to heal him. Hashem said, go back down and tell him that he should, get, he should take back his eyes. And I, you have my, he has my word that he will be protected. That- You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.